0: Hi, my name is Maddie. Throughout this series, we will read each psalm as a call and response. This week's reading is Psalm 84. I will read the lines marked reader, and you will read the lines marked people, and we will read the lines marked all together. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. O Lord of hosts, my ruler and my God, at your altars even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Blessed are those who dwell on your house, ever your grace. My soul longs for your courts, O Lord. In your presence is fullness of joy. Blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. They go, the of Jesus, they, a of they go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. My soul longs for your courts, O Lord, and your presence is fullness of joy. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, and bestows favor and honor. My soul longs for your courts, O Lord, In your presence is fullness of joy. The word of the
1: Lord. Praise to you, God. Amen. Let's pray as we dive into that text this morning. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for the way that you meet us. And now as we open up the scriptures, would you speak to us and would you cause us to see uh, you revealed more clearly. See Jesus to hear your voice and to let our hearts be challenged and changed. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you again. What a morning already, huh? Anytime we can do baptisms, it's a powerful, powerful thing. Uh, this is, as I said earlier, the second Sunday of Easter tide or Easter season. Uh, the feast always outlasts the fast. And so if you want to go find some more Cadbury eggs to keep the feast going of Easter, go for it. Good luck finding them. Uh, We're in the series through the Psalms, and we've been journeying through different ones of them. This morning we're in Psalm 84, and so if you want to find it in your Bibles, you can. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up on the screens here as we go through it. Uh, We live in in a remarkable age. We live in an age where you can get recommendations for anything you need. If you're looking for the best restaurant, just look up Yelp. If you're on a vacation, you say, oh, where's Yelp? Tell me the best burgers. Tell me the best Italian place. Tell me whatever. If, you, if you're planning a trip, you could use TripAdvisor, and you could uh, research for days, really, the best places to stay, the best things to do, and on and on. And, and really, if you're going to purchase just about anything, you could read reviews on Amazon. I mean, how many of you, be honest, how many of you have lost, like, hours of your life just reading reviews? You're like, eh, I think I've... How, where did the time go? I was All of a sudden, I ended up on this other message board, and then all these geek reviews, and then I realized, oh, this is the thing I need to have, right? It's a wonderful thing. And even if you don't use the official platforms or apps or whatever, there's always Facebook you know? I mean, you can. I, just this morning, I was scrolling through the news feed and people were saying, hey, where, where can I find the best, da 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 da? What's the most affordable, blah, 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 blah? And, and not only do you get answers from your Facebook friends, but now Facebook will store your data and show ads on your timeline unrequested. <laughs> kind of creepy, but also really helpful. So there's that. And if you were to ask the psalmist, where do I go to find God? Psalm 84 is their collective response. Psalm 84 was written by the sons of Korah, who were these famous choir family. I mean, imagine like the Von Trapps, but like bigger, you know? I mean, a family of people who loved song and music, and it was their family heritage and business to sing their praises to God. And so if you wanted to ask someone, hey, where's God's presence, you would ask these guys. And Psalm 84 is their response. Psalm 84 is the collective recommendation about where to find the presence of God. But not only that, they use a word that shows up in a lot of the Psalms, they use the word blessed. Now, blessed for us, we're like, oh, blessed, you know, happy, whatever. There's a whole lot of things that belong together with that word blessed. And it might be closer to to the point if we use a phrase like the good life, Who's living the good life? What does it look like to really flourish? What does it look like to find joy and happiness and the blessing of God? And the Psalms kind of have as an underlying theme this theme of blessedness. Psalm 1 opens up by saying, blessed is the one who... And then even the lament Psalms are the Psalmist saying, excuse me, but I'm here for the blessed life and that's not what it seems to be happening right now. You know, like showing up for the wrong class. You're like, I signed up for English 101. Why are we doing this? you know, upper-level literature or something, right? And so the psalmist, even when they quibble with God, are quibbling with God on the basis of their understanding of the blessed life. And so Psalm 84 not only gives us a re- their, their recommendation about where God's presence is to be found, but it also tells us something about the people who are enjoying a flourishing and blessed life. This psalm is broken up in three movements, and we know this. Because in between, uh, or after stanza one and after stanza two, there's this little word, selah. We're not fully sure what this word means. It's probably a musical uh, note that says pause or wait. And so, but it marks for us that there's three stanzas in this psalm. And I want to walk through this psalm together and point out a couple things along the way. Are you ready? Psalm 84 verse one opens by saying, "'How lovely is your dwelling place.'" Lord of heavenly forces, my very being longs, even yearns for the Lord's courtyards. My heart and my body will rejoice out loud to the living God. Yes, the sparrow too has found a home there. The swallow has found herself a nest where she can lay her young beside your altars. Lord of heavenly forces, my king and my God, those who live in your house are truly happy and they praise you constantly. One of the first things we notice about this song is that for the psalmist, place matters. Place matters. Now, jump back real quick to those first few verses of Psalm 84, and look at this. Dwelling place in verse 1. And in verse 2, he says uh, it's the courtyards of the Lord. And then in verse 3, he talks about a home for the sparrow and a nest for the swallow. And then in verse four, it says again, your house, those who live in your house, dwelling place, courtyard, nest, home, house, for the psalmist, place matters. Now, this is interesting for us because we live kind of in an age where we've learned to devalue place. We don't really value place. I mean, location doesn't really matter. I mean, look, if I took a quick survey and said, how many of you living here right now are living in a city that you did not grow up in? I would guess, and okay, you don't have to, but I would guess that probably a, a, a wide majority, a vast majority of us would say, yeah, that's me. No, I'm not from here. In fact, when I meet someone who is truly a native Coloradan, I like want to freeze that moment. Like, oh my gosh, really? Like, you're I've only heard about you, you know? <laughs> The rest of us just got here as soon as we could, right? And so place almost doesn't matter anymore because you can move anywhere. And look, at, look, think about work. You can work from anywhere, right? And so even office space doesn't really matter. Like, look, as long as there's Wi-Fi, I can work anywhere. I can work on my phone. I can work with my laptop. I can work anywhere. Place doesn't even matter. And maybe one of the reasons why we've devalued place is because we've learned to devalue or distrust institutions. Now, I'm not a historian, but several people have written about the movements that arose in the 60s and the 70s that began to distrust the establishment or the institutions. And so they began to say, well, I don't know if we want to be like that. We don't know about big government. We don't know about big business, and we don't know about big churches. I mean, I think it's funny. New Life Church is described very often most plainly as a non-denominational church. But think about how odd it is to define a church by what it's not. This is the church that is not that. (laughs) You've heard of those big denominations. They were huge in the 40s and 50s, but now in the 60s and 70s, we have these new sort of Jesus movements and and authentic stuff. and, And we don't know what to call it, but it's not that. It's non that. Non denomination. I mean, this is the stuff that happens when we grow up with an anti establishment, anti institutional thing. So I get kind of a kick out of it even today when startup businesses grow big but don't want to act like they're a real institution, right? So you get all these tech startups in the Silicon Valley that are so massive and huge, but they don't want you to really feel like you're working in a corporation, even though Google is a corporation right? And so like, well, let's have nap pods and let's have ping pong tables and let's have like a casual dress and all, let's do all this stuff just because not, we don't want you to feel like you're actually in an office space, but this is your office space, right? And I think of my friends, I, you know, a couple were, were in here this morning in the 9 a.m. just laughing through the whole bit because he knows it's true. Like, the tech companies want to be the anti-corporate America, but you really are the new corporate America. Right? Big data, you own all of it, but let's not act like we do. you know? Let's play it cool, man. We're just like a bunch of dudes hanging around like on the internet and stuff. We, that owns half the world, you know? <laughs> and so we don't trust institutions, and we've devalued place. But place matters. In fact, place... Is how we get a sense of permanence. Place is how we make things last. And so now we have movements that are shaped by personalities. That's what happens when you don't have place. You say, well, instead of institutions and instead of you know all of the permanence of place, we're just gonna have personalities. So I'll go follow that person and then I'll go follow this person, then I'll go follow this. But there's no sense of permanence. But you know what else place does? It takes a place to make a people. We name ourselves after place. We're Americans, or even me, a Malaysian-American. I mean, what is that? I'm named after two very different places. And whatever the complexities of race and ethnicity and culture and, and all the stuff that we try to parse, somehow threaded through each of those concepts is the notion of place. Where are you from? And what does that do to your sense of identity? Oh, place shapes A people, I mean, I I think about what does it mean to be an American without America? Like, what if there was no more America? What if you were not in America? I I think of um, students overseas, American students overseas who will always find one another around the third Thursday of November. And they're going to say, look, we're the only ones in the world who mark this holiday, so we're going to do it. We have to have our turkey and our corn, and we're going to do this because we're Americans, and even though we're at this other university halfway around the world, we're going to sort of celebrate Thanksgiving together. And it's kind of cool, but you see, we can't shake the rituals that are connected to the place that makes us a people. Place matters. And so for these sons of Korah, for the ones singing Psalm 84, these are people whose lives and very existence are defined by a place, specifically the temple. Their whole lives are given meaning by this place. Place matters. And he ends verse 4 by saying, the ones that live in your house are truly happy. And then verse 5, he says, those who put their strength in you are truly happy. I don't think it's an accident that verse four and verse five are right there, right one after the other, so that we can see those who are already there are happy, and those who are on their way can also be truly happy. Place matters, and it seems like some of us are already living in with, with tastes and hints of this final place, and it's so beautiful, but you know, most of us were on pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is in their hearts. As they pass through the Bacca Valley, they make it a spring of water. Yes, the early rain covers it with blessings. And they go from strength to strength until they see the supreme God in Zion. The psalmist is saying, look, we know that there's a place that really matters, but pilgrimage is our reality now. Pilgrimage is our reality now. And actually, for all of us as Christians, we are the people Who are living between two resurrections sometimes you'll hear christians call it the now and the not yet there's something that's available now and yet we know we don't have it all look if this is as good as it gets we're in trouble right paul said it this way he says if only for this life we have hope we of all men are to be pitied is this isn't it there's a not yet there's more And so even in this Easter season, this is a beautiful way to think of it, Jesus' resurrection has already happened, but our resurrection has not yet happened. The last line of that Christian confession of faith says, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We're not looking just for heaven. We're looking for that great end, that great and final day when all who are in Christ will be given resurrected bodies, when heaven and earth will be made new. See, we are the people living between two resurrections, a pilgrim people between two resurrections. Some of you might like to think of it this other way. Jesus, in John's gospel on the cross, he says, it is finished. And so we think, oh, well, it's all here. There's nothing more. But actually, keep going. John in the book of Revelation has a vision of when Jesus returns and makes everything new. And then he says, It is done. And in English, finished and done sound like the same thing. But in Greek, there's a little bit of a difference. It is finished is completion, it is done is it's coming to pass. And so we live between the completed work and the coming to pass of everything that Christ has accomplished. We live between these two resurrections. We are pilgrims. Pilgrimage is our reality. Now the psalmist goes on and he names a specific valley. He names the Baca Valley. And this is interesting because it, it, it's talking about a, a valley of balsam trees, the, the, the balsam valley. But there's a little play on words here because Baca in Hebrew sounds like the word for tears. And so later when this passage got translated into Greek, when New Testament Christians were reading this and they read it, in that translation it said literally a valley of tears. The Latin version translates it as valley of tears, which is why the, even the English version we used this morning called it a valley of tears. Baka Valley. And what is it about the Baca Valley that was so sad? In 2 Samuel and in 1 Chronicles, there's a story of the Philistines raiding the camps of the Israelites, plundering them. It was a day of sorrow, a day when the enemy plundered. And so when Israel's walking through this as pilgrims, they're saying, ah, this place, this is that place where sorrow met us. And yet, it says in Psalm 84, as they pass through the Bacchah Valley, they make it a spring of water. The people who are on pilgrimage will pass through the Valley of Tears, and yet it can be a spring of water. And the psalmist says it's because these people find their strength in the Lord. These people knew what David at Ziglag knew. He knew They knew how to strengthen themselves in Lord. The Lord. They know how to strengthen their heart in the Lord. If you know how to strengthen yourself in the Lord, you'll walk through the place that was a valley of weeping, and it can be for you a spring of water. I was thinking about the different ones of your stories and where you've experienced this, where you've walked through places that were valleys of tears, that now the Lord has graced you with springs of water. And I reached out to a couple folks and just asked if I could share a bit about it. And I thought about, first of all, our friend Bemni. Many of you know Bemni, originally from Ethiopia. And many years ago, Bemni and I met, and I had the privilege of doing premarital counseling for him and his wife, Wesson. I did their wedding, I think it was in 2009. And then I got a call six years ago In the spring of 2012, when the unthinkable had happened, and he said, you've got to come to the hospital. Wesson's been in a car accident. And I got there to the hospital, and he'd already heard the news that she had passed. We sat in that little side room and wept. And then he and I met together every week, more or less, for four years. For four years. And nobody has shown me what grief looks like the way Bemni has. Nobody's let me into those tender places of questions and the wrestling the way Bemni has. We talked about all kinds of things. We talked about the funny things Christians try to say to cheer one another up. We talked about where what real resurrection hope could look like. We talked about what redemption might be. And there were different moments where he said, I'm never going to get married because there's nobody could, that could replace. And then I watched that soften to say, well, I don't want to close the possibility, but nothing will ever change this scar that I have. So I understand that there is no erasing the scar until our resurrection. And then last fall, Bemni reached out to me and he said, I've, I need to get together with you again. I've got something to tell you. And he told me about how he had met this Wonderful young lady in Kansas City and connection and the family links and all of the stuff. And then a few months ago, my wife and I had the chance to sit down with, with him and, and with this young lady. And we're talking and meeting and just surprised by joy. Now, Bemni would never say to you that this joy erases that sorrow. There's no such thing. But Bemni would say that there is a joy that can coexist with sorrow that there are springs of water that appear in a valley that is still called the valley of tears see that's what pilgrim space looks like it's in between one day jesus will wipe away every tear one day death will be no more one day there will be resurrection one day all things will be made new until then we hold both sorrow and joy together but we but we hang on to this sense that even the Valley of Tears can become a place where water springs up. And then I was thinking of our friends Jason and Jen Pedersen. Now, I got to know both of them before they got married. In fact, I led uh, a missions team to Africa in the spring of 2012, and uh, and I might have had a little uh, matchmaking thing that was magic I was working on that trip. And before, by the time, the, right after the trip was over, Jason asked Jen out on a date, and before you know it, you know, and I had the privilege of doing their, their wedding on the first Sunday of Advent, 2012. And um, there was great joy. And then as a couple years went on, they discovered that they uh, could not get pregnant. They were having to face the reality of infertility and the unexpected reality of that. And so we walked with them through that. They, they, they were part of our meal group for many, many years, with the read and others, and, and walked with them through that. And then walked with them on the day that they said, okay, we've, we've got the home study complete, so we're ready for a call for adoption any moment now. We're like, okay. We remember when the text message came in, they said, there's a, babe, there's a, there's a young gal we're going to go visit in such and such a place, and we're going to, you know, this could be the one. And then all of a sudden, we remember hearing, this is going to be the one. We were in the courtroom when the judge said, and this baby Jackson is your son. That's springs of joy in a valley of tears. That's what it looks like to walk through the Baca Valley and turn it into streams of water because your strength is in the Lord. Now, I, what I love is that the psalmist doesn't rename the Baca Valley. You know, if he, was, if he had a little more marketing savvy... He would have said, guys, Bacchah, you may not know, has a negative association. It's going to be a trigger for a lot of people. I just, let's just call it something else. Let's call it the valley of victory, or, you know. I mean, it, it, if we were to do this, we would rebrand. But God doesn't rebrand, God redeems. God says, go ahead, it is the valley of weeping, it is the valley of tears, and yet I'm the God that can make the valley of tears a place of joy and springs of water. I'm the God that can take where the only water that was coming was from your tears, I can make it into springs of living water. I'm the God who doesn't rebrand, I redeem. That's what Psalm 84 tells us. And so then the psalmist goes on in verse 10, and he says, better is a single day in your courtyards than a thousand days anywhere else. I would prefer to stand outside the entrance of my God's house than live comfortably in the tents of the wicked. The Lord is a sun and shield. God is favor and glory. The Lord gives, doesn't withhold good things to those who walk with integrity. Lord of heavenly forces, those who trust in you are truly happy. Three times the psalmist says it. The end of the first stanza, those who live in your house are truly happy. The beginning of the second stanza, those who find strength in you even while they're on pilgrimage are truly happy. And then the end of the third stanza, those who trust in you are truly happy. See, here's what the psalmist wants us to know, is that the presence of God is everything. The presence of God is everything. I mean, listen to the metaphors he's using. The Lord is our sun and shield in this sort of high desert climate. On these colder nights, you need the sun. I need some warmth and I need some light. The Lord is both. And then on those hot days in the journey when you're like, I just need a little shade. The Lord is your shield, the sun and the shield. What is it that you need? He's everything. He's favor and he's glory and he gives. He's a giver. No good thing does he withhold. What the psalmist is saying, he's saying, I, I, I've come to know that there's all kinds of good things in the world, but I've discovered the source. I've discovered I don't just want the gifts, I don't just want the byproducts, I don't just want the results, I want the source. And the closer I can get to the source, the the better life is going to be better is one day close to you because the presence of god is everything now i don't know if you were to watch <laughs> my life which would be a little creepy but if you were to somehow you know, you know watch my life and you know as i'm relaxing or whatever you might say i don't know if glenn would say this i think glenn might say better is one more netflix episode <laughs> or maybe for some of you a better is one more hour at the gym yeah, definitely not me Better is another game. Listen, they're all good things. But you know when your appetites have been rightly ordered, when you can say good, 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 but better than all of them is one day with you. Like, I like this, I'll take vacations, nothing wrong with that. You know, I get a kick out of the message paraphrase of this. Eugene Peterson says, better is one day with you than a thousand days on Greek islands. I'm like, wow, Eugene, I mean, that's a little bit strong. I've never been to Greek islands, but it sounds like it would be kind of nice. <laughs> but he's try- I think what he's trying to say is, stack him up. Stack up all the good things in life. Stack up all your experiences. Stack up all the places where you find joy and rest and peace. Stack it up. Go ahead and put one more above it all. Better than all of it is a day with you, God. Better than all of it is your presence. Now, we may not fully be convinced of that yet, but that's okay. The journey of faith is a journey of coming to believe that deeply in our hearts of coming to believe that, Lord, help me believe that. I want to believe that it's better to be with you than to have plenty anywhere else. It's better, Lord. Better is one day in your courts. The presence of God is everything. But the psalmist doesn't leave us with a vague notion of God's presence. I mean, there's nothing worse than knowing that you're hungry but not knowing where you want to eat. I mean, this is like every tragic first date, you know? Where should we go? I don't know. Are you hungry? Yeah. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? (laughs) Right? And maybe not first date, maybe it's like parents on I-70 in the middle of Kansas. Okay, well, uh, there's a a Wendy's here. No, I hate Wendy's. Oh, there's a a McDonald's. No, I hate McDonald's. But you're hungry. Those are not my kids. I was just impersonating other (laughs) generic. There's nothing worse than being hungry and not knowing where you're going to be fed. The psalmist has no such confusion. He knows what he's longing for, and he knows where to find it. He says, I I know where. It's the courts of the Lord. This is why we said place matters. Because right here, the book ends of the psalm, the very end of the psalm, he comes back to it. He says, I know where the Lord is. It's in his courts. It's in his house. And I've got this deep longing for it. And I know it's better to be there than to be anywhere else. And the psalmist is not confused about where to go. It's the house of the Lord. And so what is that parallel for us? What is the temple? The temple in the Old Testament is such a rich powerful symbol we know that in Genesis there was this design for all of creation to be like a temple but then post fall God says well let's start with one place let's start with this dwelling place here And so the temple becomes the center of the universe to Israel's thought. But then Jesus shows up, and in John's gospel especially, Jesus shows up announcing himself as the true temple. I'm the one. I'm the place where heaven and earth meet. I'm the center of the universe. Only Jesus can say that. I'm the place where favor and glory, the Lord's sunshine and shielding happens. I'm the refuge. I am this place. And then we know in the book of Revelation, the very end of it, John will say, one day God's dwelling place will be with humankind. And we're like, that's so great. Can't wait for God to descend and fill the earth and make it new. And we skip over one massive piece. Because the Bible doesn't just go creation, Jerusalem, Jesus, new creation. It has one more piece. When Paul talks about the temple, He talks about the church. He talks about the church. And there's no getting around this. When Paul wants to say where the place is that God dwells, where God lets the fullness of his spirit fill up, read Ephesians. Ephesians 2, he says, look, God, because of the good news, is fitting together all kinds of people who look like rough, jagged stones, but somehow he's making it into a beautiful living temple. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter. And then Ephesians 5, Paul talks about the spirit filling us up. See, look, if you're looking for that place where your hunger for God's presence can be satiated, it is the place where the people of God gather in the name of Jesus. It's the church. And for some of us, that may be bad news because you're saying, well, wait a minute, the church, uh, the church is also the place of my pain. Actually, the church is my Baca Valley. That's real. I know that. And I wonder if a first step for you this morning is to say, but what if your hunger for God would let you come back to the people of God? It's not, you know, it's amazing. The temple was ornate. The temple had all kinds of goodness in it, gold and all kinds of crazy goodness, right? The psalmist could care less. The temple's only valuable for one reason. God's there, right? This is what I would say to you. Maybe you've come across some weird people in church, some hurtful people in church. Maybe it's not the super comfortable chairs that draw you here every Sunday. (laughs) Maybe it's not the amazing this ministry or that ministry. Maybe it's not all the incredible programs we offer. Fine, let it be the presence of God. Let it be the presence of God that says to you, okay, okay, I am hungry for this. And I, you know, this isn't perfect. This isn't perfect. And I don't quite like that person or this person, but This is where God has chosen to make himself specially present, is with the gathering of the people of God. And so it's our appetite for God's presence that overrides our consumer mentality. Our consumer reviews of Yelp, Google Church reviews. You know, I've read all that stuff. Ultimately, I just need to be in the place where the people of God are, because the presence of God is there too. Because every time the people of God gather in Jesus' name, Jesus said, there I am. And so it's Jesus that I'm after. It's the presence that I'm after. And we'll get over all the weird stuff, you know, the bad parking. (laughs) the presence I'm hungry for. It's the presence of God that is everything. As you bow your heads this morning, we're getting ready to come to the Lord's table. Even in temple worship, there was always an altar where food was sacrificed and oftentimes consumed by the priests themselves. And so there's something about a table inside the temple. For us as the church, here is Jesus' table. Here is Jesus' table where he spreads for us a great feast of his grace and of his mercy. Maybe you need grace today in your Bacca Valley. Maybe you need some sort of strength to be able to believe that God can bring a spring of water out of a valley of tears. You're on pilgrimage. This is the place where his presence is specially present.